0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today, we are on Season 1, Episode 18. As always, I'm Ben Patterson. I'm joined here by Paul Bart, and we are excited to dive into today's conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm glad that you are always Ben Patterson. I know, I know. I, I, if well, you I mean, showed up and
0: you were not Ben Patterson, <laughs> one day, be, I wouldn't be sure what to do with that. But I was going to go the other way around, say, so, as always, I'm joined by Paul, but I end up switching it. Yeah, That's no. great. I love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> Good
0: to be well, here. today we are, as of when we are shooting this, it's the day after Mother's Day. Hmm. Uh, how was how was your Mother's Day yesterday, Paul?
1: It was good. I mean, it was really good. I I, uh, I can't remember the last time I spent Mother's Day with my mom, hmm. and so my my parents were here with us uh, on Mother's Day, which was really neat. They traveled up from where they live in uh, Panama City, Florida, and then we're traveling on to my sisters. Um, so that was really neat, and uh, you know, got to. Also, then spend Mother's Day with uh, the mother of my children, which is really mm-hmm. awesome. So my wife and I uh, got to be with her, and we uh, we had a fun kind of you know we we got Cracker Barrel at Cracker Barrel, brought it back to the house because if you go to Cracker Barrel, yeah. yeah, it was wild. I mean, I showed up and the lady says to me, you know, she's they're out they're greeting people outside, you know, because there's so many people at Cracker Barrel on Mother's Day, of course, and. Uh, she, she says to me, before I could even step up, she says, the wait is two hours, are you okay with that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually here to pick something <laughs> up because we ordered ahead. So, uh, oh, so yeah, it was, was good. Wise that was good. thinking there. Yeah, so we had Cracker Barrel for Mother's Day, which is one of Lori's favorites. And, so, uh, and then after that, just kind of relaxed and had, had a nice nice awesome. time at home. So
0: Awesome. Yeah. yeah, and we had a great day here at Grace Chapel yesterday. It was a whole lot of fun. She came to celebrate the mothers and giving out some flowers and just always make it a nice fun day.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: And you had a message yesterday that's connected a little bit with Mother's Day uh, in our series Under Pressure. Um, So why don't you actually, uh, let's just start with uh, tell us a little bit about Under Pressure, the series on 1st Thessalonians for anyone who may have missed last week or doesn't know where we're at with this so Mm -hmm. let's just give us a little bit of a recap on what is this series about, why 1st Thessalonians?
1: Yeah, so again, uh, th- this first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica is probably his first letter that he wrote, period. It was written to a group of Christians who uh, we see again that that church was established in Acts 17. We see that the church was established under pressure. Mm-hmm. Paul knew right away that there were uh, attacks coming. In fact, he talks about that in at the beginning of this text from chapter 2 where we were in, uh, that we were in uh, as we were here together uh, yesterday. Um, and he, he talks about the fact that right from the get go, you know, he was under pressure in Philippi, then he came to Thessalonica, could tell in Thessalonica they were going to, uh, you know, uh, be under some of the same kind of pressure, but then knew leaving, if he'd faced that kind of pressure as he was sharing the gospel message, then the Christians, the new Christians at this church in Thessalonica, were going to share that same kind of pressure. And so he's concerned for them. And so, really, the whole letter uh, written to this little group of Christians uh, in Thessalonica was about dealing with the pressure and what kind of attitude to have as they were under pressure from culture around them to compromise um, the new life they'd been called into, living faithfully for Jesus. You know, whether that was, you know, whether they had been uh, previously uh, engaged at the synagogue because they were Jewish converts or whether they had been engaged at a pagan temple and in pagan worship, Or in really worship of Caesar because that was what Rome really specialized in making Mm -hmm. sure that Caesar was seen as a god in fact there's if you look back historically uh, so many sources point to the fact that the Caesars often like to view themselves as gods you know we're we're God in the flesh in some sort uh, some sort of way Uh, and so there was um, real pressure upon uh, the Christians in Thessalonica no matter what their background was to not now live this new life that was centered on faith in Christ. So um, I think why this letter now, I think because there, there's so much that, as I've said in this, uh, in this series to this point, is there, there's so much that we can learn from the Thessalonian Christians as it relates to living life under pressure and what, what that looks like for us. How do we live faithfully as we start to find ourselves more and more under pressure from the culture around us. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, a lot, lot for us to learn here. We are a church under pressure at this point in time. We are mm-hmm. a people under pressure. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about this, mm-hmm. I think, in the first, uh, the first series we did in, in this podcast mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. Um, and it was uh, using the John Mark Comer quote saying, you know, that... that it used to be uh, Christianity held a place of honor in this nation, mm-hmm. where now because of the, the kind of the cultural vibe and vogue, Christianity and Christians now actually hold sometimes a place of shame within yeah. cu- within culture. Yeah. And so uh, for us to think that we're not under pressure, um, you know, we're, we're we're a little naive if we think that's true and, and maybe kind of mm-hmm. fooling ourselves. So we're, we're under pressure now and I, I believe we're going to continually, at least for the next uh, several years for the foreseeable future with the way culture is shifting find ourselves m- under more pressure And, and it's not going to be I don't think it's going to p- take the form of outright persecution but it's going to take the form of, uh, of Pressure to to do and be things differently or at least to do what we're doing quietly Yeah, and, gotcha. and not not be the kind of people that God asks us mm-hmm, to be mm-hmm. a light on a hill Which is anything but quiet in fact remember Jesus says nobody takes a light and then puts a basket over top of it. We Mm -hmm. don't do that. But that is what culture around us is asking us to do, to take the light that we've been given, the light of Jesus Christ himself, that now lives within us and put a bushel over top of it. And so I think that's the pressure that we'll be facing uh, in this culture right now to cover that light.
0: It's good. So, Thessalonians, because this book is a good example of right, a church that mm-hmm. did live under pressure. Absolutely. So, tell us, tell us a little bit about where you go with it this week. You kind of connected things into Mother's Day a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about where we went in the message this week.
1: Yeah. So, uh, in, in chapter two, a good chunk of that text, Paul uses this uh, very family-oriented language to talk about the way that he engaged. With the Christians in Thessalonica, when he spent about that month that he was there with Silas, planting that church, establishing uh, the church by preaching the gospel, both in the synagogue and then preaching the, uh, the gospel out in the public square and public places, public places as well. Not publics, the grocery store, I think. For some reason, my mind went there just now. <laughs> the publics places. Now, the public places, um, although if you want to go preach in publics, that probably is pretty cool. Um, so, um, yeah, back on track, we digress. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as, as he's engaging and talking with the, the, the Thessalonican Christians, again, what he's saying to them is, here's the way I lived, here's the way we lived when we were among you, um, in using this family-oriented language. He also then commends them after that section for living under pressure by seeing the example of the church in Jerusalem And then I think by proxy, also the example of the way that Paul and Silas lived when they were with them, that's now how they were living and treating each other under pressure. So we looked at this uh, section of text really yesterday um, and and talking about it today on the podcast in a way to say, look, here's an example for how we ought to live as a church under pressure. Now, back to the the Mother's Day connection, Um, Paul actually in this section of text talks about the way that he lived. He first, he begins talking about, um, you know, uh, the first thing that he points to is this, that, um, that he lived among them like young children first. Mm-hmm. I think to first point out the level of humility that he embraced among them. Uh, you know, didn't come in with pride and boasting. And he says later, you know, we didn't use flattery, or I think he says that actually earlier, we didn't use flattery among you. Uh, we we just let the gospel be the gospel. And instead of coming in and trying to act like we were big shots and we were really important folks, and you should listen to us because we're wise and we know. He says, no, first what we did was we we lived like young children among you, really to show that level of humility, you know, that... Um, that that positional, uh, I guess, you know, if you think, um, if you think about the way that people can use position in life to try to influence others, you know, you can lord it over some. Jesus says, in fact, that's not the way we do it in the kingdom of God. We don't lord it over others like the Gentiles do. Paul says we actually intentionally took a position of subservience, in a sense, to show you the gospel as we showed the gospel (laughs) to you. Then he goes from there to say, um, and just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And then probably one of my, I'd say, you know, if I had a list of maybe 20 favorite verses, this would probably be on it, this next verse. I love what Paul says here when he describes his love for the Thessalonian Christians. He says, we loved you so much that we didn't just share with you the gospel. Remember, that's what he's been talking about. We did share with you the gospel. Of course we did. And when we did it, we did it from this kind of position of subservience. Um, We cared for you like a nursing mother cares for her children. Then he goes on to say this. We shared the gospel, yes, but so much more than that. We also shared with you our lives. We gave of ourselves to you. And he reinforces this. Uh, later in the text by saying, you know, basically talking about how how he gave of his life. You know, he was willing to suffer for them. He didn't want them to suffer in any way, didn't want to be a burden on them. And so all these things, you know, we talked about this in the sense of Mother's Day. I mean, this is what the best mothers do for their Mm -hmm. children. They love them in a way that shares their life with them. They don't withhold their life from them. You know, I think about, um, you know, stories that I've heard of of moms who are sometimes aloof from their children. and Sometimes, you know, not to pick upon pop culture idols or Hollywood people, but that's sometimes where you hear the stories, you know, of, of, you know, this mom who's so busy that she didn't have any time for her kids, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes we hear that about dads, dads who are so involved in their work and their business or whatever it happens to be, their executive role, whatever, that they are removed from their children and kind of mm-hmm. aloof from their children. And that, that is exactly the opposite of what Paul says they did. Paul says, yeah, we worked when we were among you. In fact, we worked our fingers to the bone. We worked like crazy. He says, we worked both day and night so that we didn't have to be a burden to you. Mm-hmm. I think about um, in the last several generations, and this is not a number of reasons why this is true, I think, sociologically. But one of them is that we don't have a hope for our children that they're going to have it better than we did. Uh, There are a number of studies that point to that uh, these days, where in previous generations, the belief was, my children can and will have it better than Mm -hmm. what I did. Mm -hmm. And we actually kind of, there's this collective feeling that we kind of reached the best of what could be, and now we're sort of heading downward from, from here. And so the general sense of optimism about what's coming has gone away and been replaced with a sense of pessimism. But in those days when optimism reigned, you know, you go back to the the greatest generation and even some of the boomer generation, uh, there was this attitude that that believed if I work hard and sacrifice for my children, they will have a better life than my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And a lot of people still choose to live that way, regardless of kind of feelings about what may be coming or what's already gone. Um, But Paul is saying, this is the way we lived our lives for you. I mean, we worked day and night so you could have things better than we have them. Day and night we worked. We didn't want to be a burden on you Mm -hmm. whatsoever. We shared our lives with you because we knew we had something so good to offer you that we couldn't withhold it. So all the time we're giving, 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 giving. I mean, that's what Paul says. We, We poured into you that way. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, again, let me read that verse one more time just because it's so powerful. He says, because we loved you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I mean, a deep measure of love. Again, that very family-centered, family-oriented language. And then Paul concludes, he does a, you know, with with talking about fathers as well. Um, You know, he says, "We, we encouraged you like the best fathers do, mm-hmm. you know? We admonished you, we comforted you, um, we were calling you to something. And you know, so, so kind of, you know, what, what, uh, what I said out of that is that, you know, as the best of fathers do, Paul and Silas, they encouraged and called the Thessalonians to what he knew was best for them. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we did have a little bit of a, uh, you know, I, w- I would say this wasn't a Mother's Day message, Uh, But there was that real family component to everything we talked Mm -hmm. about yesterday. And and so that that was a big part of the message. And so certainly uh, calling out and celebrating moms for the things that moms do so well as they give sacrificially. And I think about the way my mom did that in our family. Mm -hmm. I think about the way I know my grandmother did that, uh, um, well, both, both of my grandmothers did that for, for the sake of their children, the way that Lori, my wife, now does for our children. And and frankly, it's it's different than, than what I do. We play somehow different roles in the way we love and pour into our children. Uh, but Paul says, and we don't, we don't need to miss this, I mean, it doesn't have to be gender-specific. In fact, Paul is calling out what is so good about the way women are often just naturally wired, mm-hmm. and then saying, we in the church, all of us, should imitate that kind of behavior and care for each other that way, especially leaders within the church, should care for the flock, like another, like a nursing mother cares for her children, to share not just the gospel, but their lives as well. So I think, you know, really, really powerful section of text that way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah that's really good. So, so tell me, so why do you, why do you think that's so important, like this language? Paul's using a lot of familial language about you know children, fathers, mothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, why is that so important to this conversation? Why is that something that you focused on as we're talking about faith under pressure, living faithfully under pressure?
1: Yeah. Well, I think there is a recognition when, when times are difficult, um, there, there's an extra level of care required, especially for for the flock, for, for the people of God, right? And, and Paul recognized that. But I want you to think, too, about, I mean... Paul was with this church, these, these young Christians, for about a month and then was run out of town. Mm-hmm. Now, he continues to try to care for them. Obviously, this this letter that he's writing, and he writes another letter not too far after he writes this one and sends Timothy to check up on them so that he continue to, can, can continue to care for them kind of from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a people under pressure, when times are tough, The level of care that those people require to live faithfully, I think, increases. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, when when times are easy and when things are going well, you know, sometimes—and this is not always a good thing, frankly—but we can kind of just, uh, you know, coast, and we can we can kind of it's almost Mm -hmm. like we set life and live life in cruise control, and things can go pretty well when things around us are going well, Mm -hmm. even when we're in cruise control. Now, the reality is, we could do a whole lot better than living life in cruise control when things are going well. But when times get tough, um, we need something more than cruise control can provide for us in that sense. And especially from our leaders, and especially for those of us who are leaders, Mm -hmm. we have to be able to engage with people in a way that loves them well, that cares for them well, that shepherds their souls through difficult times, through trying times. I mean, you think about it, and I, I don't remember where this came from now, but you've know, you got this, uh, this thing, these are the times that try men's souls. Well, mm-hmm. the times that try our souls are when when things are difficult around us, when culture around us is putting pressure upon us to live differently, to think differently, to uh, to look at the Word of God differently, as though it's not the authority for our lives and the way we live, but it's just a, you know, some helpful suggestions and a lot of it was just centered on the culture then and so we don't really need to worry about much of it now. Uh, Even some commands, saying some specific commands, well, that doesn't really apply to us anymore. We don't need to worry about that and so, so even from within the church at times, there can be this pressure. To, to not live faithfully into what God has called us to live faithfully into, right? Mm-hmm. To not live faithfully the life that He's called us to do. And it begins by asking, you know, I, I think very simple questions. You know, uh, um, I can think about this especially, you know, in my teenage years, my early 20s, thinking about the way that I lived in relation to God and wondering how, how much do I have to do to get by in my faith relationship with God? You know, we ask that question, we start to compromise the way we live all over the place, and we start to compromise our faithfulness as well. Instead of asking, how much can I do for the God who's already done so much for me? So how deep can I go in faithfulness? We ask the question of how little do I have to do to be faithful? Well, certainly when there's pressure on us, from I think sometimes without and sometimes within, it becomes more and more tempting to ask the question, "How little do I need to do to actually be faithful?" Instead of, "How much can I do to express faithfulness to God?" Um, so we start to compromise in different places because there's pressure on us. You know, we know this is true with uh, the concept of peer pressure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, and, and we tend to think about that um, in relation to middle schoolers and high schoolers, and sometimes college students, and then we think that we don't have peer pressure. You know, once we're past the college world, and the reality is, we we absolutely do. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's peer pressure yeah. on all of us <laughs> at every stage of life yep. from culture yep. around us, and so we need that extra level of care and support, which mm-hmm. then becomes peer pressure, maybe in a sense, in in a positive way. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about that mm-hmm. in the sense of positive peer pressure, but maybe not 100%. in the sense of pressure. We should talk about it in the sense of um, positive soul care for those who are under pressure from, from the world around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talked yesterday a little bit about uh, the, these two concepts, the, the way that, uh, two theories about the way that people react when they're under pressure, okay. or when, um, when there's a stressor that, that they're feeling. Okay, so uh, most people are familiar with, with fight or flight. Yeah, You know, yeah. Uh, it just if, if not, you know, Ben, if you walked into my office and you were really angry at me about something, um, you know, I could either get angry back at you and we could duke it out or whatever that, you know, devolved into, or, you know, or I could run away because we're you're We're not younger counting than I a I am. real event. No, no.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, it's important that, uh, that everybody realizes this has never happened. No, no, no.
0: Um,
1: ben and I have intense conversations from time to time, but they're always pretty positive, so, so that's good. Um, Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, we think about this in the sense of road rage, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, when road rage escalates, it's because two people who are in a fight or flight situation decided to fight Mm -hmm. instead of Mm -hmm. uh, hit the brakes, turn away, turn off, uh, accelerate and get away. Whatever it happens to be to defuse the situation, they decided to fight and allow the situation to to escalate. Right, so, so that's that's what we're talking about, fight or flight. Um, you know, you're outside at night and you hear a scary noise. Do you turn around and look to see what that noise is in almost a confrontational manner? Or do you do like I do and drop the trash cans and run inside the house? Now, I don't <laughs> tend to do that. I just walk faster and get back inside of the house more quickly. But, you know, I we don't know what's out in the dark, you know, and so depending on your personality wiring, you may be more wired to fight to the fight response, or you may be more wired to the flight response. Now, in all honesty, uh, this is the response that tends to be more centered on uh, the generalized male persona as well, mm-hmm. too. Um, and in fight or flight, we talked about first and was uh, described first and theorized first because much of social psychology used to actually center on on the actions of men, and we weren't too worried about others. Now, fortunately, we've opened our eyes since then and realized that 50% of the population out here is women. And so, we don't need to be worrying about just what men think. We need to worry about um, yep. what, what women think as well. Um, and so, we also talked uh, during the message about this other way of responding during a tense situation, mm-hmm. uh, that this other theory that's now become known as tend and befriend.
0: Yeah, someone's new to me. I had not heard this Okay. Before.
1: Yeah, so um, I hadn't heard of it until recently either. Actually, in the conversation around what's what's happening in the, the Ukraine crisis right now, mm. um, and it was actually a newscast talking about the way that many men are going out and fighting, um, and some women are as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because again, these are these are generalizations, yeah, yeah. right? But Certainly. but generalizations are generally true. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think. Uh, and i think it's healthy to speak in generalizations they help us understand the world around us what can become unhealthy is when we allow those generalizations to become stereotypes yeah it doesn't need to be a rigid mm, right. category but it, exactly sure right like, and stereotypes are normally they exist as as a generalization that we've now that we're now using in a way to maybe speak negatively into mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. experience so we're using these to speak positively mm-hmm. for the most part so we use them as generalizations um, so then, as far as the, the, the women were concerned, they were showing these underground shelters in, in Kyiv, in, in Ukraine, um, where all these women were coming together and sharing their resources and taking each, and care of each other's children. And so they were showing that, that tend, they were tending each other and they were befriending each other. And, and they were, you know, here are these little villages developing in these underground either subway systems or basements and. I mean, they were seeing this everywhere
2: yeah. in
1: in, yeah. Uh, in this capital city of Ukraine, and so um, yesterday really leaned into this conversation. And I think we should right now as well too, as it relates to the church. There is uh, when the church is under pressure, the the mode that we need to slip into is the tend to befriend mm-hmm. mode. Mm-hmm. And not the fight-or-flight mode which which by the way just think about the situations that we faced over the last several years where the church has actually found herself under pressure quite quite often you know whether it be you know at the beginning of covid what do we do Mm -hmm. and -hmm. you had opinions on both sides about what we should do and there were some fight-or-flight stuff that happened we even had people you know who did some fighting and then did some flighting afterwards? You know, they mm-hmm. they didn't like the decisions we made and they left. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was fight then flight. You know, uh, as it relates to that and, and and as a leadership, you know, I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly thankful for the way our leaders led during that time, where they did I think for the most part take the tend and befriend uh, approach, even when people were engaging with fight or flight toward us mm-hmm. in a sense, but but what we need when the church is under pressure, whether it be questions about how, how should we respond, how did we respond to uh, COVID stuff, masking, no masking, how do we respond to uh, the the struggles uh, going on in this country that center around uh, sometimes race, uh, sometimes social status, um, sometimes, you know, Uh, whether people are wealthy or poor, so on the poverty index and how do we engage there? Uh, How do we even engage as we have questions about doctrine or tradition? Um, When the church is under pressure from within and from without, we as a people are, are called to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. And lean into the tendon befriend thing. Yeah, yeah I, I can think about. You know,
0: go ahead. I, I just think it's interesting as you're as you're mentioning that. Just thinking about that fight or flight response that we often do. I think see from the church when it comes to those controversial issues yeah. that. Either a church will often go into the fight mode; it becomes a culture war, right? That right. it's like we're gonna we're gonna get into this culture war. We're on the and whether you're on the pro mask side or the anti mask side, right. either way, we're fight like this is the way everyone has to do it. We're gonna fight this. Or there's the flight where it becomes maybe you say almost just completely ignoring like we're not even gonna say anything about those right. because it could offend someone, it could bother someone, and. You do so often see that response yeah. on one of those two extremes that are both not really helpful, yes. um, and uh, so I like I like this other this other way that you're explaining.
1: Yeah, and tender, my friend, really comes back to what we talked about last week. It is it is how do we embrace grace and truth again in equal measure yeah. as we deal with difficult situations? So yeah. how do we embrace grace and truth as we deal with the culture in an appropriate way instead of just uh, fighting the culture and telling the culture, well, you're all going to hell. And sorry, you know, or not sorry, you yep. know, depending upon where you stand. Um, you know, it it also affects how we deal with issues inside of the church, as we deal with as we embrace grace and truth in full measure, and tend and befriend people who are in the midst of a struggle. And it also means that when we see someone, you know, and I think this is important because this is where we have really let the ball drop at times. When we see someone who is struggling with a sin issue, what is our immediate impulse? Is it to go and push them further away or is our first impulse to try to see if we can draw them in to actually help them see that there's a better way of living? Because that seems to have been Jesus's response Mm -hmm. in the midst of crisis. So let's say, let's say there's, and we talked about this last week a bit, let's say there is a, a large and fairly exerted pressure upon the church to think differently, live differently, act differently uh, concerning uh, LGBTQ plus issues, and, mm-hmm. and certainly, probably, to act differently, there's there's some good validity in that. We do need to act differently. In fact, that's what I'm going to uh, maybe maybe call us to right now. Um, but if we embraced if we embraced people with equal measures of grace and truth, or full measure of grace and truth, we would come and we would try to love someone. And if they push us away, they push us away. Mm-hmm. But we love so that we can speak truth into the life of someone who is living in a way that is uh, outside of their, the will for you know God's will for their life. Mm-hmm. You know, what, no matter what that issue happens to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got someone who's uh, an alcoholic, um, how are we going to love that person well? And if they push us away, they push us away. Mm-hmm. But we make the attempt to love yeah. so that we can speak truth into yeah. the life of one who is. Is hurting, and that comes back to you know. If if I can circle back around on something else, is this idea of what does it mean to be lost? What does it mean to be lost? Is is lost someone that we just say, well, there, that's just someone that is going to hell, and that's all we think about? Or is it, or when we think of someone as lost, do we see someone who doesn't know the way? and doesn't know how they ought to be living life Mm -hmm. and is probably struggling and is confused and even if they don't know they're confused is probably still confused and if we do know the way well then wouldn't we graciously want to come alongside that person and try to help guide them in the way and if they push us away then that's what happens Mm -hmm. but we have got to make the attempt attempt in grace and truth together we have got to make the attempt to tend and befriend people the way Jesus did. We think about the woman at the well. Tend and befriend. We can think about the tax collectors who were pushed away and kept at arm's length. Jesus, tend and befriend. We can think about in the moment that Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says instead of forget all you, he says, Father, forgive them. So he didn't say forget them, he says forgive them. Even in that moment, Jesus was at a place of tend and befriend and that's exactly the way Paul was engaging with his church in Thessalonica.
0: Could you give us a current example of what that might look like to tend to befriend in an area where we are yes. under pressure? Um, what I, you mentioned the LGBTQ yeah, plus Yeah. So, so why don't we area. use
1: uh, why don't we use that one? Just because I mean I have a good example there, and it is okay. one where I think we truly find ourselves under pressure. A friend of mine, a guy named Guy Hammond, and you mm-hmm. know who he is as well. He works with us in the Renew Network, and so I actually was uh, with with Guy last uh, last weekend at a, at a Renew event. Um, Guy, and he, you know, I'll tell a little bit of his story. You can find out a lot more of his story. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll link his website here. I'm, I'm having a hard time recalling it right now off the top of my head. Uh, maybe you can find that for us, Ben. Um, Guy Hammond is, is a man who lived an open, openly homosexual lifestyle for probably, I don't know, a solid 10 years of his life. Um, he uh, is strength, strength, and yeah, yeah, strength and weakness. Strength yeah, and weakness, yes, strengthandweakness.org. Um, awesome, awesome ministry that Guy is leading yep, really in Toronto, Canada. Um, helping, helping people who are part of the LGBTQ community feel the love of Christ and also see how they can live faithfully in an expression mm-hmm. to the faithfulness or in, in you know, returning the faithfulness that Jesus has already shown to them. Um, so, so, Guy lived an openly uh, homosexual lifestyle. Um, it was through the love of a church that by the way, loved on him for two years before he changed his mind about what God was asking of him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I, I, I think there are a lot of churches that if somebody walked in who was living an openly gay lifestyle, uh, if somebody walked in and was open about that lifestyle would give that person two weeks
2: mm.
1: or maybe two wow. months. Yeah but can you think about the church who gave someone two years and the difference that that made not only in Guy's life but goodness gracious I I mean Guy is engaging through his ministry and and through others who work with his ministry now I think with more than a thousand people at a time who are part of the LGBT community or who have been part of the LGBTQ plus community and are coming out of that lifestyle to live faithfully into the way of Jesus, to follow the way of Jesus faithfully, whatever that means. Yeah. Um, and, and has led countless of thou- countless thousands and others to see what that means for, for them as well. I mean that, that's incredible. Now imagine yeah. if, if, um, if a church had done the tend and befriend thing for a couple of weeks and then went to fight or flight. Look, if you're not going to change after two weeks you can't be here with us. Yeah. They leaned into for two years embracing Guy Uh, as someone who is worthy of being loved. And after two years, he changed his mind. And now, I don't know, 20 plus, 30 plus years later, probably, um, he's making more of a difference um, for the sake of Christ, engaging the LGBTQ community. He's making more of a difference in that area than anyone I know. Yeah. You know, so I that's think that's really good. that's a good, that's maybe, really good. And, example right now.
0: Man, I would I would just echo the plugging his stuff as well. Highly recommend check out his books, his resources. I think yes. personally, he gives a really great example just in his own life of what it looks like For sure. to live faithfully under pressure. I mean, as a guy who he still would say he's he is same sex attracted, but he yeah. is choosing to live in this way that's faithful to Christ. That's and right. It is. It's brilliant. It's really,
1: yeah. really great stuff. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, tag a few of his resources in the in the show notes today yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah, that's really that's really helpful. So I really like that that tend and befriend approach as the church. I think that's that's brilliant. Um, another thing, you made this statement in the message yesterday, and you said that as we find ourselves under pressure, mm-hmm. we will still need to remember. I'm sorry, let me, re- let me restart that again. As we find ourselves under pressure, we will need to remember again why the church is called to live as the family of God. So why does the church under pressure need to live as the family of God? How does this, yeah. this connect into what we've been talking about?
1: You know, if I can talk about this openly without being too critical, uh, I, I think it's good for us within the church to be critical at times of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality of, of things. You know, go, go back before COVID. Um, you know, we had this environment both here and in lots of other churches where uh, we've had wonderful experiences on Sunday morning. Um, and and that's great. You know, we, we want to create worshipful experiences on Sunday morning. We want to preach challenging messages on Sunday morning. Um, but if what we're doing on Sundays, and if what we do through the structure and the organization of the church um Anytime we have the opportunity to lead in that capacity doesn't call people into family of God expressions, then then we have to be honest maybe and say that, that maybe we're God failing. <clears throat> um, if it doesn't call us into relationship with each other where we become like brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. okay, um, mothers and fathers. I mean, you know. Elsewhere, the apostle Paul talks about older men being fathers, like fathers to younger Mm men, Uh, older women being like um, mothers to younger women, and all of us being brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. Christ. We're part of the family of God. And so, um, especially when we're under pressure, if we're not living that way, um, I'm not sure how much encouragement I'm not sure how well we are fortifying each other's faith, mm. if we're not. you know. So again, we can create a wonderful experience on <coughs> Sunday morning, but that's one hour of the week. And even if we have a few other things going on that could be wonderful and encouraging, maybe we get another hour of the week, or two hours of the week. And then folks walk out of here, walk out of this wonderful facility, um, or other churches, in, Equally wonderful facilities and face the rest of their life <coughs> feeling the pressure of the culture around them. You know, so uh, Barna's research, I think Kinneman was one of the ones that led in that, the, the Digital Babylon stuff that talks about, and we've talked talked about this before, um, millennials and Gen Z taking in 20 hours on average of media uh, per week that typically consume by streaming. Um, or listening to podcasts or other things, and mm-hmm. only one of those hours being um, being anything with Christian content, you know, sort of talking about Christian mm-hmm. millennials mm-hmm. and Gen Z. Um, when We think about that reality, and, and out of that, you know, I think Barna asked the question, who's discipling the next generation? Yeah. Well, they're being discipled by influences of the world, uh, the same thing in the church. If we're only here on Sunday morning, and then we go outside for all of us, the rest of us, and never engage with... I don't see you through the week, I don't talk to you through the week, we just live the life and then we come back here. If we're not engaging as the family of God and being involved in each other's lives on a brother, sister, mm. mother, father, kind of uh, you know, wavelength in a sense, if, if that is not our mode of operation, uh, if that is not the way our hearts are connected, our lives are connected, then it should come as no surprise mm. to us that people are more influenced by the culture than they are by the church, because again,
2: yeah.
1: when we've allowed ourselves to believe that church is what happens on Sunday morning, we fooled ourselves. Mm-hmm. Church is who we are, not what we come to do and participate in or that I really
0: really love that Paul and that which ah. um thinking about that, I see all that connects in my life of. The Church as being the family of God. So some of y'all listening may know my story is that when I was fifteen, mm-hmm. my mom died. Um, and it always makes Mother's Day an interesting day for me. Yeah. And I think of in the midst of that, as we're talking and as we're talking about the family of God, yeah. these people being mothers, fathers yes. in that family. and I think of, so many women at Grace Chapel who have mm. been that for me, who've been mothers in the faith to me, who've been, fa- uh, and then men who've been fathers, brothers, sisters of yeah. what the family of God has meant in my life. Of, I mean, I could go through a list of several women who have stepped in and, in a sense, they wouldn't necessarily they wouldn't call themselves in that role. We don't label it in that way, but would be mothers in in my faith who have stepped in to fill that role and has yeah. fortified my faith in living under pressure. As someone who through my high school years did not have a female influence in my life in the home and just think of so many people who've done that for me. And it is it is really powerful and the yeah. church is the family of God. How it shows up in that way and I can equally speak to many men who've been fathers in my faith. I'm thankful to have a father at home who is a great influence and but just so many others but just in specifically in that area where on Mother's Day can often feel uh, it's, it's just an interesting day but mm-hmm. um, that is that's a really beautiful thing when the family of yeah. God is stepping up to be that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm thankful that you shared that, Ben, because it, it makes it very real and yeah. practical. And I think, you know, there there are some who may be almost exactly in your shoes. Uh, there are others who, for some reason, are ostracized from their family, but they found, they found a new family yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and, and that was the case for most of the Christians uh, in Thessalonica, by the way. Is that unless their family came with them, mm. unless their friends came with mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm they were losing their family and friends because for one to follow Christ but the others to say no to following Christ means, meant alienation.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: you know. So whether their mom or dad was around or not, if their mom or dad said, no, I'm not following Jesus with you, I, you may actually not, no longer be part of the family, whether you're coming from a Jewish background or a Gentile pagan background. Either way, they needed a whole new family. And that is what mm-hmm. the Apostle Paul said they were getting that's why Paul chose to love them with the love of a mother chose to encourage them and call them to what was best for them with the love of a father
0: love that <clears throat> that's awesome so <clears throat> as we come to a close on this conversation Paul what what would you say what do we what's our practice out of this week
1: yeah I, I think um, you know spiritually uh, especially for those of us who um, who are a little further along in the game at times, uh, but, but no matter where we find ourselves. And we've sometimes talked about this in the sense of, uh, I think we just did it several weeks ago, you know the concept of you know um, if you're a Timothy having a Paul, if you're a Paul having a Timothy, mm-hmm. uh, if you're a Paul having a Barnabas and somewhere in the middle, and ev- everybody needing someone in that, if we put yep. that in family language, what we're saying is, um, if you're further along in the faith than someone else, You need to be a spiritual mother to Mm -hmm. someone you need Mm -hmm. to be a spiritual father to someone That's what it looks like to lean into being family. I think that's one one thing, Uh, you know, if you don't uh, You know if you don't have family that's following Jesus um, You need a spiritual family So you need that so seek out someone who'd be willing to be a spiritual parent to you in that sense. I think that's one very kind of practical step Mm -hmm. is to think about Mm -hmm. that, to reflect on that and say, man, who who do I see that needs maybe a spiritual parent? And maybe it's just somebody you know, uh, they're living here uh, just north of Atlanta and their mom and dad live in Texas or whatever, you know, or in the Northeast. And man, the church needs to be a family, especially when people don't have Christian biological family Mm -hmm. around, they need, you know, family, the blood of Jesus family to surround them, especially in these times of hardship. You know, it also means as a family, we look around and we see what needs do people have? Because that's what family does. You know, if we were struggling financially, my parents, you know, it's not like they have all the money in the world, but my parents would likely say, hey, how can we help you?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Lori's parents would say the same. How can we help you get through these tough times? That's what family does. Uh, whether it be emotionally, financially, uh, whether, you know, somebody is facing some other sort of pressure or hardship, we look to support each other as family. So be on the lookout for that kind of stuff. Look to see, can I be a spiritual parent to someone? Look to see, can I seek out a spiritual parent if that's what I need? And then, um, you know, I would also say this, um, we didn't see some of the tough times that were coming that were right around the corner in 2020. At The beginning of (laughs) 2020, (coughs) I don't think many of us would have predicted what what we ended up living through. I think having experienced that and still being in this place where we're experiencing some of the anxiety and we feel like something's coming next, I kind of feel like something's coming next. I think I I definitely have been in that place myself where I feel like um, the struggles are only going to mount for us who are trying to, for those of us who are trying mm-hmm. to faithfully live out what it what we believe God is calling us to as we read the words of Scripture, believing they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. So it's only going to get more difficult for us. The pressure is only going to increase. Um, if you're someone that leans into the fight or flight approach naturally, would you do some heavy soul searching this week to see? what you could do to maybe lean into the tend-and-befriend approach mm-hmm. uh, as, as your go-to when you're under pressure mm-hmm. or when you see someone else under pressure. Could we lean into, as Christ followers, that tend-and-befriend approach? And it may just mean that, hey, th- this week you're going to have something happen and you're going to want to go to fight-or-flight really quickly. Take a deep breath, step back, And think about what would it look like instead of fight or flight, if I embrace fight or flight, to actually embrace tend or befriend in this situation and see what happens. Because I can tell you this, it is my guess that God is going to work through the tend and befriend approach a whole lot more than he's going to work through the fight or flight approach. So I think those would be just some some practical steps if we were looking to live more faithfully.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's been a really good conversation and certainly uh, appreciate your work on this. Yeah, um, pleasure. So. As always, we hope you all have enjoyed this, and we hope this can be helpful in your um, in your journey in following Jesus, to mm-hmm. practice being faithful to Jesus through this. Absolutely. We invite you to join us again next week. Next week, we'll have a special episode. It's our Milestone Sunday at Grace Chapel, so it's a yeah. week that we're going to be celebrating our seniors and um, our babies and just, uh, you know, these milestones in students' lives, and uh, I think we're going to have a guest on our podcast think so. next week. So that's going to be an exciting episode. So we definitely encourage you to join us for that. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you all again next week. We'll yeah, see you then.